I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Wednesday, May 19th. Cryptocurrency prices are way down, big box retail sales are way up, and we're focused on the legal case against Donald Trump. Late last night, the New York Attorney General's office announced that its investigation into Donald Trump's business empire has expanded from a civil one into a criminal one. Or put another way, potential penalties have moved from the realm of pay a bunch of money to go to jail. Three things to know. First, a big part of the investigation's focus is on property valuations and the possibility that the Trump organization falsely reported them for its own economic benefit, possibly defrauding tax collectors, insurers, and banks. Two, the New York AG is working with the Manhattan District Attorney on the overall probe, something that sounds kind of common sense, but it's actually a pairing that is relatively unusual. Three, neither Trump nor his organization have been formally charged by either office. And early this afternoon, he released a statement basically saying he's being harassed because of corrupt politics. The bottom line here is that the legal vice seems to have tightened in the past 24 hours for the former president, perhaps in a way that could impact his interest or ability to become the future president. So we wanted to go deeper with David Ferenthold, a Washington Post reporter whose entire beat is covering the Trump family's business dealings. We'll ask David how this investigation started, why it's turned criminal, and the big questions that remain unanswered. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by David Ferenthold of the Washington Post, who covers the Trump family and its business interests. And the Trump family and the business interests are very much in the news today. So, David, let's start here. What's the most interesting thing you've learned in the last 24 hours? Well, it's definitely that the New York Attorney General, who we know has been running a long-running civil investigation of the Trump Organization, has said that apparently whatever she's found has led her to open a criminal investigation. So that raises the legal danger for Trump. He's been sued by the, the New York Attorney General several times before, and it cost him some money, but you know that's something he's been able to handle. This would be criminal charges, which would be a, a much different ball of wax for the former president. Kenneth, when you say for the former president, how, from a legal perspective, I guess, does the Trump organization and Donald Trump himself, are they one and the same? Trump owns the Trump organization. He owns all of its pieces. Uh, well, there's some pieces that he owns slightly in, in common with his kids. But, the, you know, the Trump organization is basically an, an, a possession of Trump. And so it, there are lots of LLCs and sort of a complicated legal structure within that business. But it all goes back to him. The accusation itself, or the alleged allegation, I guess, is that he inflated real estate values for the purpose of defrauding banks on the loans. Is that the guts of it, or do we think there's more to it? That's what we know of. So the, the AG, the New York AG, has been pretty cagey about what her investigation uh, is about. But the one time she sort of laid it out, which was in August of last year in a court filing, she said, yes, that it's about whether Trump inflated the values of his assets in order to get benefits on his taxes and to get benefits from lenders. So he, we can, he inflated the value of some properties that he put a conservation easement on so that he raised the value he, he said he was giving up that give him a bigger tax break. He also supposedly misled lenders by saying he had more assets than he did to make him look like a better credit risk. Where does this investigation, the, the legal investigation start? I mean, does this go back to Michael Cohen testifying before Congress a couple of years ago? Does this relate to tax returns? What's the locus of this? The crazy thing is that this all began with Stormy Daniels. Uh, it's crazy to think that Stormy Daniels, her alleged encounter with Trump, her attempt to, you know, her thoughts about speaking out in 2016 are what leads to all this. So Stormy Daniels gets paid off by Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen gets charged with federal crimes. Cohen pleads guilty to those crimes and turns from Trump's staunchest most fierce defender 
into one of his biggest critics and airs a bunch of different allegations against Trump. And that Cohen's allegations are the beginning of both the Manhattan DA's criminal investigation of Trump and the New York AG's civil and criminal investigation of Trump. And in 2018 and 2019, Cohen's turn against Trump, which is because of Stormy, starts all this in motion. What's the significance that the New York State Attorney General has joined forces with the Manhattan District Attorney? To me, it's interesting in two ways. First of all, just the, the, the stakes of the New York AG's investigation are raised quite a bit for Trump. Instead of just being putting some money at risk or maybe the AG seeking an order to have one of his businesses shut down, she could seek to put somebody in jail. We don't know who that person would be. So th- that investigation becomes a much higher legal risk for Trump. The other thing that's interesting to me is that these two parallel investigations we've seen, the Manhattan DA and the New York AG may seem to come together a little bit. And that's valuable because the AG has moved much faster than the DA. In 2019 and 2020, the AG adopted an approach of targeting specific projects, specific transactions, four or five of them. And and she learned a lot. She interviewed a lot of people. She got a lot of documents on those things. Meanwhile, the DA swung big. He asked for eight years of tax returns, and that meant that he had to wait forever. It took him uh, from 2019 until the beginning of this year to get those tax returns. And so he has a lot of data, but he, you know, he has to go through it all, and he was pretty far behind at that point. So you may now combine these two approaches into, if they combine together, you definitely have the largest, deepest, most involved probe of Donald Trump's finances that anybody's ever done by a long shot. Can I say, is the reason that this is New York, whether it be local or, or state, is it New York because the Trump organization is based there, because the banks are based there? I, I ask because two of the properties aren't that are at least being discussed. One's in Illinois and one's in Florida. That's right. It's because the Trump organization was headquartered there. The lenders are there. And a lot of the LLCs, even the ones that are like Trump's Chicago building, is, to, is that that LLC is in New York. So I think the the locus of all the companies and their lenders is New York City. You mentioned that Donald Trump owns the Trump organization, although there's some pieces of it that uh, his two sons also are a piece of. How concerned should they be? I don't know of any role so far for Ivanka Trump or Don Jr., but Eric Trump, uh, the president's middle son, who is sort of now the most involved child, Trump child in the business, he plays a big role in a couple of these properties. Particularly, there's this estate in seven, called Seven Springs in Westchester County, New York, where Trump gets a $21 million tax break in 2015 by saying, you know, I've, I'm foregoing my right to develop this land into houses, and so I should get a tax break for that. The problem is he really couldn't develop that land into, into houses. He'd been fighting for years and hadn't gotten permission. So he was giving up sort of a right he didn't have and claiming a value that maybe he couldn't claim. Eric seems to have been very instrumental in that process, setting the appraisal, you know, pushing to get the appraisal higher. And Eric, unlike Donald Sr., uses email. So I think that there may be more of a paper trail to Eric uh, on that transaction. David, the idea of overvaluing your real estate, particularly among New York developers to get a tax break, almost feels to me like part and parcel to being a New York City real estate developer. How much of this investigation do you believe is because it is former President Donald Trump as opposed to just real estate developer Donald Trump, who's been doing business since the 80s? Obviously, I think that will be Trump's defense if he's ever accused of, of breaking the law. This is like, this is just New York real estate. We all exaggerate values. Everyone takes that into consideration. So I think you're right that Trump, as a real estate developer, was had Trump did all this stuff long before he got to be president, but nobody seemed to investigate it until Cohen came forward. And I think that was always Trump's MO was that he he did a lot of things. He tried to sort of blend in and he was not a very big company. And so he avoided scrutiny from a lot of authorities for a lot of years. 
Um, to me, the parallel is the Trump Foundation, his charity. It had done all kinds of things wrong, but it was too small to really merit the IRS's scrutiny until we wrote about it in 2016 because he was running for president. So I do think this is happening because Trump drew this attention because he was president. That's not to say that if they find wrongdoing, that it, you know, it wouldn't have been wrong for other people to do. I just think they wouldn't have looked into it at this level if he hadn't run for president. Yeah, there's lots of speculation, at least, that he might run for president again. Is it reasonable to believe that whatever the AG or or the district attorney find, if they decide they want to press charges, that those charges would come before a 2024 campaign would be getting underway? That's my belief, yes. And I say that for two reasons. One, the Manhattan DA is retiring at the end of this year, Cy Vance. He's retiring and will be replaced by another elected candidate. I don't see him, this is like one of the signature cases of his tenure, I don't see him leaving it open for the next person to decide. I think he'll make a decision, charge or don't charge, while he's still in office. Um, somebody else have to prosecute it, but he'll get it started if it's going to get started. And also the attorney general, when we looked at the case she laid out in August, when she summarized what she'd learned so far in this filing before a New York state judge, she seemed really far along. She seemed to have gotten most of the documents she wanted, interviewed most of the people she wanted to, and narrowed it down to a few areas of contention. She asked the judge, look, I need these documents or I need an interview with this person to finish my work. So she didn't seem like in August of 2020, like, oh man, I'm just at the start of this. She seemed like she was toward the end. That also makes me think that whatever she's going to do, whatever decision she's going to make, it's going to come long before the 2024 election heats up. David, final question for you. As a reporter who has been covering this, continues to cover this, what's the one kind of piece of information, the big question you have that you wish you could answer? Oh, man, there's so many. And I'll just tell you one mystery that's bothered me since we started covering Trump that it seems like the attorney general is focused on and maybe we'll get an answer to. Okay, Trump owns a Chicago, a tower in Chicago on the riverfront. He took out, in, in, in years and years ago, he took out a $150 million loan. After the financial crisis of 2008, the lender realizes Trump can't pay that loan back and forgives most of the loan. I think Trump got $102 million worth of debt forgiven. Um, we want to know, did Trump pay income taxes on it? That's what you're supposed to do. If someone forgives a $100 million debt, that's income to you. you got to pay taxes on it. We've never known the answer. Instead, Trump created about that time a weird entity that he's always kept on his balance sheet called Chicago Unit Acquisition LLC. It's an entity that he says he owes more than $50 million to and an entity that he says he owns. So he owns he owes $50 million plus dollars to himself. Uh, and we've talked to people about why you would do that. It seems related to the Chicago Tower, and it may be an attempt to park the debt in a way where he wouldn't have to treat it as income and pay income taxes on it. That's a mystery that's bothered me since the beginning. If anybody would solve that as part of this process, I'd, I'd just be really grateful. David Farenthold, you can read his reporting in The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today are rapidly disappearing mask mandates, most notably in New York which today lifted its mandate for vaccinated people in most situations, and which also ended its capacity limitations in places like restaurants and gyms. The tricky part about all of this, of course, is that the public messaging from the White House has been confusing at best, confounding at worst. So here's Dr. Anthony Fauci trying to clear things up today during an Axios virtual event. It's not their fault. That's just people either read them quickly or listen and hear half of it. They are feeling that we're saying you don't need a mask anymore. That's not what the CDC said. They said if you are vaccinated, you can feel safe that you will not get infected either outdoors or indoors. Fauci also mentioned, and this was pretty remarkable, that pregnant women who get vaccinated 
can transfer their antibodies to their babies. So kind of a double vax. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, Justin Kaufman, and Ben O'Brien. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you don't already subscribe or follow the podcast, do so. Have a great Devil's Food Cake Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. 